So today we're continuing a new series called Experiencing God. And last week we talked about relationship. I encourage you to go and listen to that, that sermon if you have not heard it. Maybe it's something that we need to revisit. A relationship with God and relationship with His people is primary. This is why we're here. This is why you are here. This is your purpose in life. This is your purpose in life. If you're wondering, what's my purpose in life? This is it. A relationship with God, a personal relationship. Uh, so today we're talking about evangelism, experiencing God through evangelism. And evangelism, simply put, is this, sharing the story of Jesus with somebody. Sharing the story of Jesus with somebody. And when you share Jesus with somebody, you're going to experience God in a new way. You will experience God speaking through you to them. Sometimes people experience God doing miracles while they're sharing the gospel of Christ to somebody. You'll experience the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And the Holy Spirit reminding you of scriptures that you've maybe memorized or scriptures that you've heard, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. You will experience God when you begin to share Christ with somebody. And it's absolutely awesome sometimes when you start sharing the gospel of Christ and you begin to see the conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon somebody and tears begin to flow out of their eyes. You know, it's just amazing. And when you finally get to the place where somebody accepts Christ into their life because of the words you shared, there is, there's really not anything more exciting than that moment. Because you realize that this is a decision that somebody has made for eternity. And you were used by God to do that. It is so humbling. And you will experience God more because you become, in some ways, like a spiritual parent to that person. So you, become, you begin to be challenged to, be, to grow deeper in Christ so that you can help them grow in Christ. So there's so much to this when it comes down to sharing Christ with others, you experience God. What does it mean? So let's, we're going to talk about some, some questions that will help us to put this in perspective today. So one of those questions that, that we need to ask is, what does it mean that to us that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, it means this. He is the authority. He is the authority in this world and in your life and in everybody's. One of the biggest things that struck people who had conversations with Jesus, they would go away and they would say, man, he spoke with such great authority. That's one of the things that they recognized that Jesus had. It wasn't like, oh, he was just humble and he was just hanging out and all of that. It was he spoke with such great authority. That was Jesus. The main reason that you're a Christian is because of this. Jesus raised from the dead. And what does that mean? It means he is the authority. Listen, you're a Christian because he raised from the dead. That's why you're a believer. If somebody is to ask you, well, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in Jesus? When you're talking to somebody and you bring it up and you start talking to them about your faith in Christ, well, why are you? There's one reason. It's not because, well, he, he helps pay my bills or he helps you. It's not because of any of that. It's because of this one reason. He raised from the dead. 
Because if he didn't do that, we have nothing. I, uh, I love watching Eli because he has adult emotions in raw form. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you and I, we're just grown-up kids. And we've learned to just kind of temper our emotions. We've learned to kind of keep them under control. At least most of us have. And we can already see in him things that he doesn't like and things that he does like. And, you know, he lets us know pretty quickly when he feels something. He can be smiling and everything is great. And then all of a sudden he's screaming his head off. And it's just raw emotion. And here's the thing. He needs authority in his life. Why? Because he needs somebody that is looking out for his future. Somebody that is looking into his life and saying, you know what? If you do this, it's going to ruin your future. If you don't do this, it's going to ruin your future. That's authority in your life. Is somebody that looks into your life and says, I'm going to say what needs to be said to protect your future, to protect you from ruining your life, from ruining your future. You know, at just eight months old, Eli is already at a point where he has to begin recognizing that. Why? Because he's becoming mobile. I've got to put the shotgun away. I've got to start hiding my chapstick. I've got to start doing some things around the house that's going to be different because he's mobile. And he needs somebody in his life that says, no, with great authority, right? So that he can be protected for his future. And everyone needs this. All of us need this. We need someone who cares about our future enough that they're telling us how to protect our future today. It's authority. Jesus is the authority. Why? Because he raised from the dead. Nobody else has done that. Well, John, Aristotle said, did Aristotle raise from the dead? Well, John, Darwin said, did Darwin raise from the dead? Is he truly the authority on where life comes from? If he can't raise from the dead, then why do we listen to him above God about anything? George Washington said, oh, he's a great man, but did he raise from the dead? Muhammad said, but did he raise from the dead? Taylor Swift says, did she die and is she going to raise from the dead? No. Did she die for you? Would she die? No. And she certainly is not going to raise from the dead. She can't. Well, Tom Hanks says, would Tom Hanks give his life for you? And would he raise from the dead? And we give these people authority in our world. We listen to what they say. You know, here's the reality. I might be able to muster up enough love to die for you. I hope that that would be the case. If if I was ever put in that situation, that I would be willing to do that for you, right? But I couldn't be raised from the dead by myself. I would need Jesus to do that. Why? He is the authority, and how do we know that? Because he raised from the dead. 
Jesus speaks with authority because he is the authority on everything. And here's what you need to know. And every human being that is around you all the time needs to know this, that Jesus uses his authority for your good. Isn't that awesome? One of the points of the cross was to prove that he isn't in this for himself. He hung on the cross and he's like, look, I'm not doing this because I'm enjoying this at the moment. I'm in this for you. I will use my authority for you to make your life, your future better. That's what I'm doing up here on the cross. That's one of the points of the cross. His beatings validate his intentions and his pain proves his motives. Jesus is a great authority. Jesus came to give you life. And life, what? More abundantly. With his authority. And what Jesus speaks to you in every human life is good for you. Please listen to what I'm saying. Don't let this pass you by. When you're telling people about Jesus, you're telling them that he is the authority and what he says is going to be good for you. Jesus is the authority of life and death. He's the authority on health. He's the authority on happiness. He's the authority on peace. He's the authority on joy. He's the authority on depression, anxiety, finances, marriage. He's the authority on how to have good relationships, friendship, being single, our sexuality. He's the authority on your DNA. He's the authority on enemies. He's the authority on eternal life. He's the authority on anything and everything that we can think of. He's the authority on science. He's the authority on astronomy. He's the authority on the ocean. He's the authority on the animals and, and mammals and, and fish and whatever's out there. He's the authority on He's the authority on Bigfoot. He knows all of these things that are mysteries to us. He's the authority on disease. Jesus is the authority on anything and everything. Why? Because only he raised from the dead. And he did. Anything and everything. He's the authority. So what does that mean? It means this. He has the answers for your life. And he has the answers for everybody around you. He has good answers for your future to be good and to protect you. And for everybody that you want to share Christ with, he has good answers for them. So telling people about Jesus is, is giving them a lifeline. It's throwing them a lifeline saying, all right, are you finished doing it your way yet? No worries if not. You can sink it a little bit more if you need to. It's all right, but here's something that might be able to help you. Let me know if you want to know more about this. And you throw it out to them. It's giving them a lifeline saying, hey, you can come in and you can start living the way God says to live. And your life will be better. How many of you figured that out? Your life will be better. So let me ask a question. Why do people normally need pain before they come to Jesus? Here it is, because pain inspires us to appeal to a higher authority. And pain is one of those indicators that they might be ready to find Jesus. So, but what we have today is people who represent Christ, 
pandering to people who are hurting, comforting them as they use the wrong things to try to comfort themselves, and instead of saying, hey, you're not living your life God's way, if you ever want to know what that looks like, God has answers because He's the authority in life. He knows what's good. He knows what's good for your future. He knows what will be healthy for you. And if you want to know that stuff, let me know. But Jesus is the way, man. But what we have is even church people in churches just saying, oh, you're fine. Jesus accepts you the way you are. Yes, he does. But there's more to it than that. You see, evangelism is giving people a higher authority so someone, someone that they can follow and find life, and his name is. It's throwing a lifeline to them. Jesus, um, I, I love this story, and I've told it recently. He was resting by the, a well one day outside of town, and there was a woman, you know, the woman at the well. She comes out, and she's going to get some water, and he has this conversation with her. And, and he had the most uncomfortable conversation for a moment that this woman has ever had. And you can hear her, her being persnickety in the conversation as, as it reads. And Jesus begins to talk with her about all the men that she's had in her past. And he says, you know, the one that you're living with today isn't even your husband. And she's just like, ah, it was a difficult conversation. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to comfort her. Oh, it's okay what you've been doing with your life. What he was doing was speaking with authority in her life. And he made her thirsty for something she had never had before. And that was the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God, a relationship with God. And Jesus made her thirsty for that. And what happened? She left Jesus. It says she dropped her water bucket and she went running into town and and she started telling everybody, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. What did she do? She went to them and said, look, there's a guy that speaks with great authority out here. We need to all go hear what this man has to say. It's possible he's the Messiah. Why? Because he speaks with such great authority. And look what it says, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because she went into town and said, I know somebody that speaks with great authority. He might be the Messiah. Would you like to know him? And when you invite somebody to Christ, that's what you're saying. There's somebody bigger than you that has authority over you that can show you how to have a better future, that can show you how to have eternal life beyond this life. What's funny but sad about people, though, is we allow people to have authority in our lives based upon how successful they are, their looks, how much money they have. Um, and British accents. <laughs> I read this article in Psychology Today that talks about how British accents in Americans conjure stereotypes of high IQs and, and competence. And so you'll be watching your TV and this person comes on TV and they, they speak with a British accent. There's a reason. Because they're trying to make you believe that this person knows what they're talking about. Pretty funny, isn't it? It's true, though. It's not true that they know what they're talking about all the time, but it's true that we think they do. 
Uh, you know the actor and comedian Ricky Gervais? Have you all seen him, heard him? He is a, um, a self-professed atheist, right? Um, and, and he gets up at his stuff and he talks about how stupid it is to know God and he speaks with a British accent. So very eloquently he speaks with that and he's funny. So people listen to him. He's He's very funny. He's, uh, he's somebody that you just think, oh my, this guy must know what he's saying because he's got this accent and he influences people with what he says. One of the statements that he says, has said is, uh, you know, based on his authority, he has an authority perspective of God, okay? He thinks he's an authority on God because he has made the declaration that there is no God, all right? So he says this, we shouldn't even need the word atheism if people didn't invent ridiculous imaginary gods, I'm not using his accent, okay? My kids have told me, Dad, don't ever use the British accent. Because, <laughs> you know, my people are originally from England on both sides of my family, Eaton and my mom's side, Tatum. I promise you, my British accent is so bad that if I was born there, it would still sound like I'm an outsider. <laughs> so I won't do that to you today. But uh, he says, if people didn't invent ridiculous imaginary gods, rational people wouldn't have to deny them. That's how confident he is that he's right about this. So let me ask you a question. Did Ricky Gervais raise from the dead? So he's famous, he's rich, he's got the British accent. And he appears to be humble the way he presents things. But let me ask you a question. How prideful is it to say there is no God? Has he been to the nearest star and looked there? Has he been to the moon and looked there? Has he even been halfway deep in the deepest part of the ocean and looked there? And that's just right here on planet Earth. Has he looked behind every rock on planet Earth? And how can somebody declare with such definitiveness, there is no God? He's not even raised from the dead. So why do we give authority to people just because they have an accent? Maybe we should start telling people about Jesus with our British accents. We could win them to cry. No, I'd lose a few myself. Well, here's what the one with authority does say. Jesus said this. Everyone who hears these words of mine, these words of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So when you invite somebody to Jesus, what are you doing? 
You're inviting them to establish a life that is built on the rock. You're inviting them to sanity. You're inviting them to a good life, a better life, a life that is of eternity. That's what you're inviting them to. And here's what Jesus said after he raised from being dead. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have all authority now. That's powerful. So that's, that's the first thing. What does it mean that he was raised from the dead? It means he is the authority. And people can say what they want to say. They can try to declare things to be good that are bad. They can do all that they want. But Jesus is the authority on it. Now, if I was in a really big church, we would have had a clap on that one. So can we pretend that we're in a big church? <laughs> he is the authority. He is the authority. So the second question that I want to talk about today is, did Jesus save you and change you? Did he save you and did he change you? So there are two kinds of Christians that aren't Christians, okay? The first kind is those who believe they're so good that Jesus plays a minor role in their religion. For them, it's religion. And they may claim to be Christians, but they're not. That's hard to say, isn't it? You think, oh, somebody claims to be a Christian, they're a Christian. It's not true. There are people that Jesus said claim to be Christian that are going to stand before him and say, Lord, we built things in your, we, we did missions projects, we did all kinds of things. And he's going to look at them and go, I don't know you. Because it's about relationship. And so when, uh, the second one is this, those who say they came to Christ, but they didn't change their lives to accommodate for him living in them. They say they're Christian. Maybe they got saved when they were little, but they didn't change their lives to accommodate for Jesus living inside of them. Therefore, they're not Christian. Are you guys following me? All right. Um, so let's talk about this, this first one real quick. The first one is the person that thinks they're so good in and of themselves that Christ hardly needed to do anything for them. This is a self-righteous kind of person. In the Bible, Jesus dealt with these kind of people all the time. They were called Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the, the religious elite, and they followed the law to the letter. Okay? They didn't take care of relationships. They, they, would divorce, they would marry a girl and divorce her, just using her for whatever they wanted for their pleasure, and then go marry someone else and divorce her. And Jesus dealt with this kind of stuff all the time. They claimed to be religious, they claimed to be connected with God, and we still have people to this day that claim to be Christian, but they, th they think that in and of themselves, they can work themselves into heaven, right? Uh, Mark recorded a story where Jesus called Matthew, he was called Levi in this passage, to come and follow him, right? So on that day that Matthew followed Jesus, Jesus went to Matthew's house, and the scripture says that at Matthew's house that day, there were tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus was hanging out at that house with tax collectors and sinners, 
Right? It's funny. He didn't, it doesn't say he was with friends. He was, it's like these were bad people, right? And Jesus is there. And the religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious elite, they were looking on, and look at what they said. Why does he, and they probably had British accents here, why does he eat, I won't do it, with tax collectors and sinners? And, and, and on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you guys, your religion is useless. You can't do this without me. I'm the authority. So you cannot forget what Jesus saved you from. Don't forget the sin that you, you, you committed. I know that that's what we hear all the time. Oh, forget about your past. Well, God's forgot about it. Well, why should I remember it? Listen, remember what you did so that when you pray and when you worship, you say, thank you, Jesus, for what you saved me from. And guess what? You can go out and you can save others from that as well. The second kind of Christian that isn't Christian is the one that says they came to Christ but didn't change their life to accommodate for him after coming, after letting him to come inside them. Now listen, if you come to Christ and you begin to change your life and accommodate for him, living for him with what he likes and what he doesn't like, and you begin to implement that stuff into your life, you begin to grow and have a great relationship with Jesus, right? But if that doesn't happen, then you don't need a doctor. You're the same as the first guy. You think that your goodness is enough. Well, I've accepted Jesus into my life, but this is something I really want. I still want to eat tasty cakes every five times a day for the rest of my life, John. Well, if, if Jesus says that that's not right for you and that's sin, then it's a problem. I'm preaching at me here. You guys know that, right? So knowing that Jesus is the authority for your life and what he says is good and what he says is bad stands for eternity is important for you to embrace and to change your life. So, well, Jesus accepts me for the way that I am. Yes, he does. But that's not the question. The question is, do you accept him? Do you accept him? Do you accept what he says? Do you accept his authority in your life? People will spend eternity in heaven. Why? Because they accepted him. Him accepting you is only half of the equation. And the reason people will spend eternity in hell is because they say, no, I don't accept that. I don't accept his authority. I don't like what he likes. I don't like what he doesn't like. And so I'm not going to change my life. I, I, yeah, I've said the words. I accepted Jesus. I heard someone on TV or John was preaching one day and I accepted Jesus into my heart. That's great. But until you begin to change your life, what did John the Baptist come saying? And what did Jesus come saying? They started their ministry with these words. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. That's how they preached. Why? Why do we change our lives? Why do we stop doing things that are bad? Why do we start doing things that are good? Well, because we're legalistic. No. Because we love Jesus. We love him. And he's our authority. And he died and raised from the dead. 
And anybody that can do that demands our respect. So here's the question. Did Jesus save you and change you? If Jesus saved you and changed you, then what? You're an evangelist. You have something to share. You're an evangelist. If Jesus saved you and changed you, then you have something to tell somebody. The authority in my life, the love of God in my life has changed my life. I used to do this, but now I'm this. That's exciting. The kind of Jesus that saves and heals people is the same Jesus that can change our lives and is worth changing for. The Jesus that says, no, that's going to hurt you. That's going to destroy you. That's going to destroy your family. That's going to destroy your relationships. No, you can't have it no matter how much you want it because it's bad for you. It's going to destroy your future. Are you guys following me? All right, so when you go to Easter dinner, which is coming up in you know a couple of months here, and people at that dinner, your family, they know and see you. They've known you. And they heard that you went to church that morning for the first time all year, right? Nobody hears like that. Nobody hears like that. But just putting it in perspective. You showed up at church, and so you show up at the Easter dinner, and you're like, hey, everybody, you need to know Jesus. And they know that you haven't changed. You haven't started paying back the family member that you borrowed something from. You live without peace. You're still stuck in your problems and struggles. You're still a threat to the rest of the family with your life. And, 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 and then you expect them to think that you're an evangelist. Are you guys following me? So what's the opposite of that? Imagine you're showing up to Easter dinner and you've got family that, that have known what you used to do, what you used to be like. And you show up, and they see somebody that has been living a life of peace and hope and joy, strength, moving forward, making things right, paying people back, doing what it takes to live a life of Christ. And today wasn't the first day you went to church all year. And you begin to share with your family that needs Jesus. Hey, y'all know what I used to do. You know what I used to be like. Jesus has changed my life. He's the authority in my life. And I just want you guys to know that the risen Christ really is risen. And he is the authority for your life. If, you, if you'd like to know more about my story or whatever, I want to tell you. It's just that simple, guys. When Jesus has saved and changed you, you have the ability to be an evangelist. Yes. And we'll finish with this. Did Jesus say he's coming back? All right. So that's established. If he can raise from the dead, he said he's coming back. We've established that. So what did he tell us to do in the meantime? Well, not longer after Jesus was resurrected, 
Not long after that, the disciples met Jesus up on a mountain. Jesus had established an appointment time. He said, hey guys, Tuesday or whatever it was, I want you to meet me on this mountain at this time. And so the, the, the disciples went and walked up to where Jesus was, and they, they met there, and look what it says. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Aren't you glad that that was put in there? It's just real. They're not trying to sell us a bill of goods here. I mean, we're talking about the disciples, the 12 minus the one that was dead already, Judas. They meet Jesus, and some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. The age. You know what that tells me? That's our mission. That's your mission. This is called the Great Commission of Jesus. And it tells me also that you better not change what the authority has said to say. You better not change it. That is, if you want Him to be with you to the very end of the age. You see, he wouldn't have said to the very end of the age if it didn't include you and me in this. We're not at the end of the age. And he promised he would be there with you when you share his name. And when you teach others who he is, what he likes, what he doesn't like, and you evangelize and you share with them that he is the authority for their life. Okay, life's not working for you. Let me know when you need to know or want to know the authority who can share with you what your life is really about. You see, Jesus even told the doubters to do this that day. Now, we don't know which ones were doubters that day. We always have heard which one was the doubter, okay? We've always heard that, but there were more than one because it was plural there. The word was plural, and after that day, I have to tell you, they didn't doubt anymore. Why? Because a person won't give their life for something they doubt. Peter didn't doubt, and he didn't doubt. Peter, how do we know that? Because he was crucified upside down. How do we know James, the son of Zebedee, didn't doubt? Because he was executed by Herod for loving, Herod loving Jesus, for loving Jesus. Thaddeus didn't doubt. One day, he and Simon went into Beirut, and they were so zealous for Jesus that day, loving him. They went all throughout the city bashing the idols. That's a funny thought, isn't it? And when it was happening, the, the, the religious leaders flew into a rage and they attacked and killed Thaddeus and somehow Simon escaped. But later, Simon 
How do we know he didn't doubt? Because Simon gave his life as well. He was in Persia, and he refused to worship the sun god there, and so they killed him. Andrew didn't doubt. How do we know? Because Andrew was crucified for loving Jesus. Thomas didn't doubt because there were four soldiers that speared him to death for loving Jesus. Philip didn't doubt because after sharing Jesus with the wife of a Roman official, she got saved, and the husband of this Ro- the Roman official, the husband of this woman that got saved retaliated and he had Philip arrested and tortured and then killed. Matthew didn't doubt because it's reported that Matthew was stabbed to death. Bartholomew didn't doubt because Bartholomew was killed for loving Jesus. James, the son of Alphaeus, didn't doubt. How do we know? Because he was stoned to death and and clubbed to death for loving Jesus. John, the beloved, didn't doubt. How do we know? Because he was willing to die. He was the only one that didn't die a martyr. And and the accounts are just amazing. They say that John was put in a big cauldron, a big giant pot of boiling oil and he just sat there and he got up and out of it and everything was perfectly fine. They tried to burn John at the stake, but he wouldn't burn. These men took this seriously. Why? Because the one with authority spoke to them and said, go and do this. Go and tell people and I will be with you even to the death, to the end of the age. And they took it seriously so much that they were willing to die for it. Boy, they didn't doubt anymore, did they? James David, would you come? So I'm going to conclude today with one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament that you probably may have read and just passed it by. But the Apostle Paul, a former terrorist, wrote this. And it's everything that I've said to you today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he begins by saying, I want to make sure that the message is clear. The message that you need to share. I'm going to read this translation. My friends, I want you to remember the message I preached and that you believed and trusted. You will be saved by this message. If you hold firmly to it. What's he saying? Just because you accept Jesus into your life at some point doesn't mean you're going to get to go to heaven. It's relationship. And you have to hold firmly to this. You've got to change your life and accommodate for that relationship. If you hold firmly to it, you will be saved. But if you don't, your faith was all for nothing. I told you the most important part of the message exactly as it was told to me. This part is the most important part. This is the same thing I've been telling you. Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures say. He was buried, and three days later, he was raised to life. The most important part of the message. And he says this happened as the scriptures say. Did you know that Jesus fulfilled more than 300 prophecies in his life, things that were written about him more than 700 years before he was even born, things that he didn't have any control of. As the scriptures say, he was raised to life 
Christ appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After this, he appeared to more than 500 other followers. Most of them are still alive, but some have died. He also appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Finally, you can imagine him writing this with tears. Finally, he appeared to me. And he says something that didn't really translate very well, but basically he just, he just felt unworthy. And then he goes into how he saved him and changed him. Verse 9, I am the least important of all the apostles. In fact, I caused so much trouble for God's church that I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. But God treated me with undeserved grace. He made me what I am, and his grace wasn't wasted. I worked much harder than any of the other apostles, although it was really God's grace at work in me and not me. But it doesn't matter if I preached or if they preached. All of you believe the message just the same. What is he saying? What matters is people got saved. People came to Christ. And people began that relationship with him. And then he talks about how because he's alive, we get to be alive. If we preach that Christ was raised from death, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If they, don't be, if they won't be raised, Christ himself wasn't raised to life. He's talking to the Sadducees here. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of anybody. That's why they were sad, you see. They were Sadducees. <clears throat> and he says... If they won't be raised to life, if you and me won't be raised to life because of what Jesus did, our message is worthless, and so is your faith. If the dead won't be raised to life, we have told lies about God by saying he, he raised Christ to life when he really did not. So if the dead won't be raised to life, Christ wasn't raised to life. Unless Christ was raised to life, your faith is useless and you're still living in your sins. And those people who died after putting their faith in him are completely lost. If our hope in Christ is good only for this life, we're worse off than anyone else. But Christ has been raised to life. And he makes us certain that others will also be raised to life. Just as we will die because Abraham, we will be raised to life because of Christ. And then he speaks again of his authority. Christ will rule until he puts all his enemies under his power. And this is beautiful. And the last enemy he destroys will be death. When the scriptures say he will, be, he will put everything under his power, they don't include God. He, he clarifies God. The Father still sits where he sits. All right? God is the one who gave him his authority, he says. After everything is under the power of God's Son, he will put himself under the power of God who put everything under his Son's power. Then, this is beautiful, God will mean everything to everyone. And we skip down to verse 34, and because of all of this, he says, be sensible and stop sinning. And this one was gripping. You should be embarrassed that some people still don't know about God. Verse 50, my friends, and this is where he talks about him coming back. Indeed, he is. I want you to know that our bodies of flesh and blood will decay. 
This means they cannot share in God's kingdom, which lasts forever. This body will not share in God's kingdom. It becomes more real for me every time that I look over at the little box sitting on Angela's nightstand that holds her body. That's not her. She's somewhere else. And he says, I'm going to explain a mystery to you. Not every one of us will die, but we will all be changed. It will happen suddenly, quicker than the blink of an eye. At the sound of the trumpet, last trumpet, the dead will be raised. We will all be changed, so we will never die again. Our dead and decaying bodies will be changed into bodies that won't die or decay. The bodies we now have are weak and can die, but they will be changed into bodies that are eternal. Then the scriptures will come true. Death has lost the battle. Where is its victory? Where is its sting? Sin is what gives death its sting, and the law is the power behind sin. But thank God for letting our Lord Jesus Christ give us the victory. My dear friends, stand firm and don't be shaken. Always keep busy working for the Lord. You know that everything you do for Him is worthwhile. Everything you do for Him is worthwhile. You want to experience God, you start telling people about Jesus. You want to experience God, you start letting people know that He loves you, He loves them, and He wants to be in their life. If, they want, if they're ready for that life change, He's got it for them. But you start telling people, oh, you're fine the way you are. Just say this prayer and everything will be fine. Don't, don't worry about changing anything. That's not the Jesus I know. Jesus I know says, change your life. God's kingdom is here. And I'm saving you. Walk with me. Follow me. And I'll give you life everlasting. That's Jesus. Amen. Would you bow your heads? So first and foremost, have you made Jesus the authority in your life? Is He the authority in your life? If not, why not? Why should He be? Because He raised from the dead. And because all power and all authority has been given to Him by the Father. And He has authority over you. And God wants to give you what it takes for you to have a good future. Eternal life. And He'll give it to you. And the second question is this. Have you let Jesus change you? Have you let Him change your life? Do you still think and believe what you bought, believed and thought? and thought before you came to Christ if that's the case you're in trouble you can't think the same way you used to think 
You can't believe what you used to believe. Why? Because Jesus is the authority. And you have to change your life. You've got to find a way to become free from the things that bind you in this world. Well, John, there's somebody I don't want to forgive. It's not a choice. The one with authority has said, you need to forgive. You need to turn them over to me, and I will deal with them. And if you can't trust me with that, then you don't trust me with anything. you got to forgive those who have hurt you, and you got to give them over to God, and He will deal with them. He is the authority. I don't care how many people in the streets are screaming, something is right that's wrong. He is the authority. He's the one that raised from the dead. And it's time for us as his people to say, yes, God, you are God. I will change my life to accommodate for you living inside of me. I will live the rest of my life aware that you live inside of me. And Father, today we invite you into our lives more, more, more. We want to experience your presence in our lives in a deep and intimate, good relationship. And so, Father, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your forgiveness makes it possible for us to have a relationship with you. We enter into a deeper relationship with you to experience you more. And God, help us to let others know how good it is to be changed by Jesus. And how good it is to walk with you. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't fear evil. We don't fear death because death will be swallowed up in victory. When it's all said and done, we're yours. Now I want you to think of the person that you need to share Jesus with. Begin to pray for them. Jesus. God, let your spirit begin to draw them in to your kingdom one by one. Family members of people that are seated here and online right now. Friends, co-workers. God, make them as influential as the Pied Piper that the authority of Christ would speak through them to draw all men unto you. To be as influential as the woman at the well when she went into town saying she found somebody with great authority. Come and see the Messiah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.